This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to The Common Good. This program aims to build resilience in the community across three sectors, public, profit, and not-for-profit. We asked the question, what practical steps can we take in this post-COVID-19 era to become resilient? Welcome, Wiki. Um, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, I'll start by just asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a very broad question. <laughs> and, and I think some listeners would already know that you've been a uh, ex-mayor for Christchurch. Um, but yeah, just just give us, give us a little yeah. bit about yourself. So, yeah, so I have been involved in politics quite a lot. That's what my degree was in, um, although it didn't start off being that way. It was supposed to be in languages. <laughs> and then right. I discovered politics was, to me, much, much more interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think I see politics as sort of the capacity to be able to uh, to do things, to make changes and to really do things. So I, I like it a lot. Um, but I also like lots of other things. Um, I like um, business. I like um, all sorts of social issues. Um, yeah, and I've been involved in education a bit um, in setting up actually three schools now um, because we wow. ages ago we set up the College of... Uh, English language um, as a joint venture with Canterbury and Lincoln. That, that was a oh, really that was long, you as well. Wow, okay. that's that's a very long time. Sold that ages yeah. ago, um, uh-huh. and then got much more involved in the style of education we were offering um, children. And uh, mm-hmm. I had a child who hated school. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he certainly didn't want to have to homeschool him. <laughs> um, well, if you so like yes, he thought it was incredibly boring. Yes, I see. Yes. Now, was it because he 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 felt that um, his needs weren't being met, or he was just too smart for school, <laughs> no. or um, um, he just felt that it was really restrictive kind of teaching yeah really restrictive really boring um would uh yeah didn't enjoy it whatsoever um Uh and uh he was about five or six at the time (laughs) he had um in theory a very long school time ahead of him (laughs) so I actually got quite interested in education and at that time um uh, he was at Elmwood School, and the uh, the principal there was just amazing, John. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so when I'd take him there, I'd have these sort of uh, almost impromptu lessons in education from um, from the principal, who was just incredible. So he helped us um, along with mm-hmm. a whole pile of other amazing people um, set up. So we set up a classroom at Elmwood with different styles of learning like kids learning around things that excited them rather than things that they were told Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and that was that was great fun Um, and we learned a lot Uh, but then we discovered that you could actually under the New Zealand Education Act do that um, as a whole school as a special character school Mm -hmm. so started the process of trying to establish um, what became Discovery One as a primary school, and then later Unlimited, which is now our Tafferty Unlimited Discovery. 
Um, they've been merged and a post-earthquake. And uh, yeah, that was a and fun did process. Did you feel that a lot of other parents were feeling the same, that their the school um, system it, well, I didn't meant know for their kids? Well, I didn't know were feeling the same until we held a public meeting. Ah, <laughs> I was see. The I remember it. Yeah. And I was sort of very tentatively putting out two rows of chairs. <laughs> <laughs> thinking, you know, that people didn't want to be embarrassed by the fact that there was only five people there. Um, and the room was full uh, with standing room only. So it was actually a, quite an eye-opener to how many people were feeling the same. Yeah. Now, was this after you left politics or before you joined politics or during the time you um, were in politics? So um, it must have been during. Um, it, it must have right. started it during and then done uh, much of the hard yards yeah, during yes. is when okay. we started. Um, and uh, so people were probably drawn uh, because of Vicky Buck as well, not just, you know, just another no, parent no, saying, no, hey, no, the no, system. I think, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, I think um, actually they all had the same issue of their kids and uh, not enjoying school and. Um, really wanting something completely different, um, mm -hmm. something that excited the, um, the kids, that made them interested in learning rather than um, what they were getting. <laughs> were you able to, like, uh, uh, you know, have a one-on-one -on -one really sort of, you know, intimate chats with these parents to understand, you know, where they were coming from? Like, how, why did they feel the same way or similar way as you felt? about the school system? A lot of them, um, and a lot of them I got to know quite well. <laughs> um, yes, yes. So they had very similar um, uh, reasons. And in fact, the, the trial uh, class that we had at Elmwood um, was, was much the same. Like the kids weren't excited by uh, learning. They were just, mm -hmm. you know, they were bored, they were hating it, they wasn't meeting what they wanted. Um, yeah. And so, so yes, and you, you don't think it's too, it's still quite strange that, you know, here we are in 2021 and not a lot has changed? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. Why is that, like, you think? I, I love the fact that in New Zealand there is a provision in the Education Act that you can set up special character schools. So they're state schools, they're free for people to attend. And the provision actually came about, I think, in the, oh, the 80s um, from pe parents who were feeling that what was on offer in the education system wasn't meeting the needs of their kids. They, they were allowed to set up. A special character school. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't know that. I, I mean, who who reads the Education Act? Um, yes. But I, <laughs> but I did discover that from a member of the Ministry of Education who said it at a seminar or a conference or something that I was at, and then scurried away I to see. find it. Yeah. Um, and found it, and it hadn't been used. I don't think at all at that stage. And it took quite a long time for them to um, become sort of familiar with those clauses. Um, and yeah, um, yeah, Trevor Mallard. And how difficult, the, easy was it for you to, you know, jump all the hoops and loops of the <laughs> you know, no. bureaucracy or the, the process? 
No, I tend to be quite impatient. <laughs> so that, I'm not. That's the like, key to success, is it? <laughs> be impatient. No, I don't think so. It's just a personality trait. I sort of like things to happen immediately. Um, yeah. So yes. yeah, so it took us three years to get approval, which uh, I regard as a really, really, really long time. Wow. Yeah, as, uh, so especially when you knew at that stage that there were a lot of kids in the situation. Um, mm. The fact that we did get approval was actually very cool. Um, it, there was a Trevor Mallard, I think, was the Minister of Education at, oh, at the right. time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and Leanne was actually Associate um, Minister. So she came down to meet us um, and um, and was persuaded by what we were trying to do, uh, right. which was helpful, uh, incredibly helpful. Um, and yeah, so when Trevor opened it, he sort of came in and saw it. This mm. is Discovery One, and I then threw away his speech notes, <laughs> <laughs> which was very cool. Yeah. And so, why do you think, like you know, we've had different um, so many character special character schools set up? And we still read in the news that um, the the level of education is going down, the the numer- literacy, numeracy um, skills have gone down. Um, kids are struggling at school, and yet uh, we haven't been able to like address those. We know that there are there are schools who are doing really well, students who are doing really well in these special character schools. Why haven't the government sort of changed its its gears and and looked at you know education so in a different way. They still exist, so they're still there in the Education Act. I think the the numbers that you're required to have are slightly different because I think at that stage you the number that you're required to have of children was very low. It's much higher now, um, but still not not difficult um, in terms of numbers. Uh, the process is probably difficult. Uh, I think a number of the charter schools have become special character schools um, just from a funding equity point of view. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the fact like I'm that just asking, like, we you know, why, why are the why are still majority of the public schools still doing the same old thing um, well, rather than changing into some other kind of, you know, just adopting <laughs> what the special character schools are doing. And, you know, because th- those are also sort of public schools and why can't the, the other, you know, uh, the, majority uh, of the other public schools become like them? Um, well, I suspect quite a lot of people like school as it is. I mean, I liked school as it was. <laughs> so I was surprised when my son didn't. Right. <laughs> um, so... I imagine that it works quite well for a number of people um, and okay. that that's that's totally fine. They're having a fine time. A lot of things have changed within them um, and they do have some capacity to do things. And some schools are doing extraordinary things. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. diss other schools at all. Um, I just think that you'll always find people who want something different and it's really important that we provide for that because... It's a very long period that you get to spend in school, um, like, <laughs> what is that, 10, 12 years or so. Um, so it's a very long period of your life and very formative um, period. So I think it's got to meet the needs of, of the child really well. Um, 
And yeah, so in Christchurch now, there's another one, Tapar is a special character school. Hagley's become a special character school from um, where it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, um, yeah, there are, Christchurch tends to be the lead in those areas. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, so thank you so much for, you know, giving us a bit of background about yourself and discussing, you know, how you've uh, gone and um, established these special character schools for your, um, you know, quite a number of parents who were worried about their kids' education and just, you know, general well-being and upbringing in the society. Um, yeah, I think we're it was just a, about yeah, sorry, allowing yeah. the kids to keep, keep that curiosity and that love of mm. learning. That's yes. what I'd put at the centre of it. Like, the really important thing is that you learn, you love learning and you retain your curiosity because whatever happens, you're going to have to learn throughout the rest of your life. Yes, so, so and yeah, yeah. And, 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 and be a little bit self-motivated and be able to work, you know, yeah. by and yourself why you learn, and be a bit independent. Yeah, and why wouldn't you learn around the things that you love and that you're excited about? Um, mm. You know, why would you have to read that book if you could read that book that you're really interested in? <laughs> mm. Interesting, interesting. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, uh, let's discuss about uh, the special character school that you had set up and uh, how it's different, uh, how it's been doing, and then get into the new school that you have established recently. We'll take a short break. Not quite yet. Welcome back, folks. Uh, I've been talking to Wiki Buck um, about her background and uh, her interest in establishing new schools <laughs> and a little bit of politics. And uh, so, Wiki, um, could you tell us like how um, it improved, um, you know, the Discovery School during the time you were involved with the school? Um, tell us a little bit about that period. Um. <laughs> It was a lot of fun because there was a lot of um, new things to learn. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm not a teacher, as you can tell, um, uh, but there was an enormous amount to do. Like setting up the schools was was a lot of fun because we hadn't ever done it before. So there was a huge amount of learning in that. Um, and then um, how do we do this? How do we do this? <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Now, were you doing of, um, this on your own or did you have no, 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 a few other? Um, no, there was a, a wonderful group called the Learning Discovery Trust, which still actually exists. Um, of, and these were the unsatisfied parents? No, these were amazing people like Cheryl Doig and Paul Bradley and Jane Ellis and others who um, got involved um, and who were um, just there all the way right through so the Learning Discovery Trust did Discovery One and then did Unlimited um, about uh, not much later after <laughs> actually right. soon after Discovery opened um, yeah. and Unlimited so was the secondary so they're now merged. Um, essentially were uh, their parents as well whose kids would go into? Um, Jane Jane had parents there, Cheryl's uh, 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 was a, a principal Uh, she's now an education consultant Paul Uh was all sorts of things had been a teacher in fact he was the teacher when we set it up at um, Discovery uh, uh, at Elmwood sorry so he Uh got interested in it from from that Um, yeah but they were amazing so it was a very cooperative effort a lot of fun Um, 
you know, writing the a submission, which right was people. pages and pages. Um, yeah, we did that in the evenings, usually with a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, they were amazing. So they were an incredibly good group of people to work with. And and they kept it fun, um, which right. it needed to be because there was a lot of hard work in it. But we did I'm learn. Just curious, you know, what, what did it offer um, in terms of being different from the other schools? So it put the child at the centre of the learning. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the fundamental um, premise that the child. So each child would have an individual education. Uh, program that they would work out with their parents parents and families could be as involved as they like so there were a lot of parents and families grandparents whatever there Mm -hmm. often all day Um, and they could um, having done police checks and things they could take the kids out in small groups and do all sorts of things Um, Mm -hmm. so there was huge uh, parental community involvement and they used the whole community as their learning environment. So they were both based in school in Cashel Mall at that stage. Um, and yeah. the learning environment was basically the whole city. So quite um, literally, and, uh, a village, it takes a village to bring up the uh, child is what yes, so was happening Yes, so instead of sort of stopping the parents getting involved, um, the parents were very welcome. In fact, if they were... Um, interested in something and running a say an afternoon class and there were you know five or six kids or 20 kids or whatever interested in doing that they could they could do that as well so there was Mm -hmm. a huge variety of things on offer but the kids could focus on what was that excited them so um, so putting the child at the center of learning means that each one is going to be doing something quite different Um, and that's uh, that's quite a challenge in terms of organizing it um mm-hmm. but also just did you have to get special um teachers uh, for, i know the teachers the were or? state school um so mm-hmm. state you know qualified teachers yeah just yeah. the same as any other state school so the funding was the same as any other state school that's how it works um, the teachers have to have teaching qualifications just the same as any other state school same thing mm-hmm. Yep. But they had to put a lot of thinking into driving this. Um, well, I, I suspect there's quite a lot of teachers who'd like to do things differently as well. So it wasn't hard to find teaching staff. But the way that we did it was um, they had to um, present in front of the whole school and anybody could ask them questions. And then they all got mm-hmm. to um, give feedback. Right. I see. <laughs> be quite yeah. terrifying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, but the teachers would have loved it because, you know, they would get some instant feedback of what they're thinking and, you know, what the parents are thinking. And, you know, with the questions, they'll be able to, like, you know, improve uh, the way they were thinking and take a different approach. And, and yeah, I think a is- lot of te- teachers would love to get the feedback and that um, kind of involvement from the parents, which I guess in certain <laughs> schools doesn't happen. Um, one of the things I learned along that path was that, um, so we had, for example, quite a, an entrepreneurial culture as well. So the kids had a, they had a fund. So if they wanted to set something up that we didn't have the equipment for, or they want to start a business or they want to do something digitally or something, they could do that and they could come and pitch their um, thing for some support, some financial support. Like uh, and the thing that, that I learned was that I could never anticipate um, what was going on in the mind of kids. Well, it's kids, just right. wonderful. I mean, like the capacity to think of different things and the, yeah. 
um, yeah, like the and the thought processes are just beautiful, like extraordinary. So because really they were not boxed into these classrooms and the thinking and the framework, they were able to think outside the box and come up with their own um, issues and how to resolve those issues and, and think way forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's because um, that's really, really important. <laughs> we are so going to need that skill. That's amazing. Uh, I think you've been bringing out really uh, awesome kids um, future citizens uh, for this country. <laughs> well, I haven't been involved in Discovery Unlimited for about the last 10 years because my kids are much older now. So. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's talk about the uh, Climate Change School a little bit. Sure. What is so, it? And um, yeah, why now? Um, well, I suspect why now is because it's the issue that we are all going to confront and we have to confront it fast like if we're going to leave the planet uh, livable so we haven't got time to waste on climate change so we we're doing this as climate action campus um, mm -hmm. and this this has actually been had huge help and support from the ministry of education um, which has been fantastic so what we intended, it's, it's eight schools involved in this um, at the moment, and we would anticipate that others would want to be later on. But we're looking at taking over um, where Avonside used to be, where Linwood College is currently, um, that gorgeous site school there, um, which is right on the Avon River and Avonside Drive, and the most gorgeous location. Um, and it's quite a big school. There's about uh, 800 kids there at Students, sorry, at, there at, um, oh, at the moment, Lim right at Linwood College at the moment. Linwood moves mm -hmm. into new premises term two next year, so we're okay. hoping to take that over then. And then we've also got a lease on the uh, red zone land adjacent to it, just behind it in Callishaw Street. There's mm -hmm. about four and a half acres there that we've got right. a lease on. It's taken mm, about 18 months to get that lease. Okay. Um, so we're just developing. In fact, I've just been out there this morning. They're just starting to put greenhouses on it and um, for, the, for the campus. So they're just putting up the framing um, this morning. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah. So the, the concept is that it's a climate action campus. The eight schools that are starting it are both primary and secondary. Um, there's, uh, so our Tafiti, which is Unlimited Discovery, uh, is involved in... Um, they'll be the host school in terms of satellite schools, which is what this becomes. So you can have satellite schools as well, I've discovered, because <laughs> I didn't know anything about them either. Right. Um, in Hagley, uh, Girls High, Shirley, Avonside, uh, Waitakere, um, Rafati and Banksav primary schools. Um, mm -hmm. We expect others to come on board and maybe some preschools as well and probably the university, the two universities. Um, perhaps Ara. Um, mm -hmm. So the concept is that the schools work together because we're all going to face this issue of, of what can we do about doing something about climate change. And rather than face it separately and sort of struggle with it separately, we're going to collaborate and cooperate so that this will be the site where you come to take any form of climate action that you want to. So um, there'll be a, across the field. Um, so um, for example, we've just been talking to somebody who um, 
who teaches beekeeping about whether she could come for a day a week. Um, then obviously the river being right on our doorstep means that things like exploring the river and what's happened in the red zone and cleaning up the river and making sure the water is really good and um, right, that yeah. any pollutants are not in there, um, all those sorts of things. So we're expecting uh, a whole range of things, but the teachers working together as well. So when the kids come from Avonside or Girls High or Hagley or Rafferty, um, they bring their teacher from their school. So the teachers are also collaborating. So they're working together. Uh -huh. um, so instead of them sort of having to, you know, confront something quite as scary as climate change on their own, they can collaborate with others along with the kids being able to do that. Uh, and obviously we want to make it fairly open to people to come and do all sorts of things uh, as well, um, subject to the normal police checks and things that you have to do in state schools, um, right. sensibly so. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, so that's the concept. Um, and so will there some be the some students at the campus itself where this is going to be established? Yep. So th that's going to be like one base. That's and going to be the home schools base. are going to come and go. Yeah. Yeah, um, I suspect there will be some students there full time or there for the term. So the students can, well, the schools can choose um, whether they're there on a Wednesday or whether the Thursday afternoon or they're there for a term or they're there for a week or mm -hmm. however they want to operate it within their curriculum. So the students stay enrolled in their own schools. Um, but this is a cooperative effort of those, at least those eight schools and um, probably more. Um, and probably some other environmental groups and things who will want to be involved there as well. Um, right. Um, and some students yeah. will be enrolled purely in the climate change school itself? Uh, no, they will remain enrolled there? in their own school. Oh, right. Um, I see. Okay. But there may be home bases or classes um, there full time. Full time. Right. Yeah, yeah, there will definitely be staff there um, full time. So uh, Nikki from uh, uh, our Tafiti will be the director there um, mm -hmm. and we'll have an administrative assistant, uh, an admin person there all the time as well. Um, yeah, so, uh, so it's quite a, a different concept um, and basically... Yeah, I'm interested. How did this come about? Um, so I'm actually... Yeah. Um, well, I've always been interested in climate change and uh, just in whole environmental issues because I can't believe what we do to the planet and expect it to just recover. Um, like, I, I, yeah, so I get angry about fossil fuel and things like that, but you, you don't mm. want to hear about that. <laughs> One of the reasons I love driving an electric vehicle is that I don't have to pay the fossil fuel companies any money. Okay. <laughs> um, but apart from that, um, it's much, much better for the environment. Um, but uh, just this, I was actually doing, so the council was, when I was on the council, um, doing its plan for um, uh, the city to get to uh, net carbon neutrality um, and by what year and how do we get there? And not just the city council, which is kind of the easier part of that, but how do we as a whole city become net carbon neutral or carbon neutral? And um, so we opened that up for submissions as you do. Uh, mm -hmm. And the submissions process was reasonably relaxed. We were just sort of sitting around the table, but I was, I was chairing it. And there were submissions from eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, just 
everybody and and, oh, wow. and grandparents and, and all sorts of things. And how long Just, ago was this? This was uh, when I was still on council, so two years ago. Oh, wow. Right, um, I see. Because I chaired the Innovation and Sustainability Committee because they were two things I liked most. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, um, so we we had these submissions. And the thing that came through incredibly strongly, like, you know, just sort of in a very powerful way, um, were kids saying um, that, that, that that whole sense of climate angst, like, well, you've stolen our future, so what's the point sort of thing? Um, and from the research I've done, the the best way of countering that whole climate angst, you know, there's no future, you've stolen that sort of thing, is mm-hmm. to actually take action. Um, mm. And there's an excellent book on that, actually, um, called How to Talk About Climate Change in a Way That Makes a Difference. But, um, but that sort of struck me as, well, we can't just let, leave that there like that's so powerful with what these kids were saying we have to do something about that um so um i actually met up we met up with the learning discovery trust and i said well, what about we do one about climate change <laughs> <laughs> and we started talking about it and then i thought well i'll just go and find out about it so i've just been finding out about it ever since yeah. <laughs> negotiating to get the land and then um approaching the schools to see if they were interested and finding that they were. And then we've got a group now of the boards of trustees that meet regularly and a group of the teaching staff of each of the schools that meet regularly. We've managed to get the lease from Linz um, and the Ministry of Education has been superb in terms of the um, saying, well, actually you can use, like letting us use Avonside when Mm -hmm. Linwood leaves. Um, which is amazing. So these eight schools are going to do something. It's probably quite novel, actually. I don't think there is another one. Well, there's certainly not another one in New Zealand. Um, I don't think there's one in Australasia, but I haven't done sufficient mm. research on that. It's not a public um, entity. I think there's, um, I can't remember where exactly it is, but there was a um, climate change school uh, in the North Island somewhere. I think. Uh, yeah, that but it's, uh, it's a... But it's a green a private one. Yes, yes yeah. it's a and it's a private one. Yeah. Mm, and I mm. think it's primary. I'm not sure if it's secondary as well, but I may be I may be completely wrong. So they've got the idea of um, doing something about it, which is great. But one of the things that concerned me is that I certainly didn't want the barrier of fees being in the way. Yeah. So I love the free provision of state education. I love that. I mean, it's mm. like free healthcare. I think these are uh, like fundamental things that I love about New Zealand um, Mm -hmm. that we actually you know we do it in varying degrees but we do look after each other (laughs) and we do take those sorts of things of health and education and those sorts of things as a yeah so you're just lifting all the restrictions and just letting everybody um, just making it accessible for anybody who is interested yes I hate the idea of um, it would only be accessible if your if your parents were well off or they were making sacrifices higher yeah. class <laughs> so i mean I, I i wouldn't spend a lot of time i mean i'm doing this voluntarily so that wouldn't excite me enough to spend a lot of my time um doing it <laughs> so it needed to be yeah. free um and that's uh, state education yeah right and can you state tell us schools. a little bit about the learning that the kids will be able to do is it just dependent on the individual schools how they want to come and use the facilities or Pretty much. will there be some um, kind of a 
curriculum that um, you know they have to um, adhere to? Um, like so they have a curriculum anyway um, uh, that you know set by the government, <laughs> set by the education department or whoever. Um, in terms so, of climate change, or so there is general... some climate change within it, and oh, there right. is um, sustainability. But what we want to be able to do is that kids don't have to make a choice between taking action on climate change and getting qualifications. Like you should be able to do both. So mm -hmm. if you're taking action and you can get a qualification around that or you're setting up a social enterprise or something, then you should be able to get your NCEA qualifications around that. And in many cases, you can. Um, so we'd like to be able to continue with that. But um, each school will still um, do what, you know, what works for them and they will adapt and change it as we, as we go along in terms of hours and how long they want to be there and what they want to do. Um, but things like like the woman that we were talking to about bees, um, Catherine, um, mm -hmm. she would be there, say, one day a week. And the kids that want to learn beekeeping could come and do that um, with her that day. So if you're into that or if you're into kayaking and we found an amazing teacher, Anna, at uh, Avonside, who's just knows everything about kayaking, which is fantastic. Um, uh, then, you know, teaching the kids how to kayak and, you know, making sure the safety thing is in there and then doing some projects on the river. Um, right. I'd really like an electric boat on that river, just completely by the by. The by. <laughs> electric boat, okay. <laughs> that's, tours that's, of that river on yeah. the would be amazing. Anyway, uh, that's a different one. Um, uh, but it could run from the campus um, if anybody's got an electric boat. So, so they will offer, um, so for example, the University of Canterbury can do STAR courses, which is, uh, you know, a, a, a level one university or level, you start year of university um, while you're at high school. So they could do statistics, for example, around climate change. So they're quite willing to adapt and change things so that climate action, climate change is the focus. Um, so it might we want to cover the whole curriculum. So if they want to do art or English or whatever, um, we're looking at having some music capacity on site as well because the School of Music is looking at possibly mm -hmm. um, going there. Um, so if they want to do something in a field, then um, what we'd look to do is try and find that resource or the school will bring that resource with them. Um, so it will be um, a work in progress as it gets going and it will change from day one to day 10 to, to right. day 30. Um, but the concept, the overarching concept is that you come there um, because you want to do something about climate action. You want to take some action on climate change. And mm -hmm. that may be that, uh, for example, because we'll have a lot of garden space and things, you may want to... Um, grow your own herbs and create a, um, a new curry or something as a business and you may want to grow organically or whatever mm -hmm. and then um, so Avonside and Aotearoa have both got commercial kitchens which is great um, and then uh, places like Riverside Market where you can just sell by the shelf rather than having to buy a huge you know retail outlet is incredibly helpful 
Um, oh, so okay. yes. the capacity, and then people like the Ministry of Awesome um, and those ones who offer sort of mentoring services. And um, we'd like to tie into the universities, sort of some of their startups as well that they do um, mm -hmm. through their entrepreneurship um, uh, um, course that they offer. Um, yeah. So, I mean, within Christchurch, there is amazing resource and amazing people doing incredible things. So really what we want to be able to do is provide a space where they can um, go and feed off each other <laughs> uh -huh, yeah. um, and, and help each other. Because you're just creating the awareness in the young minds itself is quite important at this stage, I guess, you know, so um, at least they can make some I, conscious decisions as they're growing older in terms of, you know, what kind of consumerism they want to be in. I don't think it's the young people that lack that awareness. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they're very aware of it, uh, incredibly aware of it. Um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think they're in the lead in this one. Right. So I, I see that you've made a, quite a headway. You've got the ball rolling. But have you been on the radar of climate change deniers? And have you faced some kind of resistance as in like, you know, what are you teaching our young ones? Why are you spoiling their minds about climate? You know, we, <laughs> climate change has been happening since the dinosaurs, you know, as they say. Yeah, sometimes I get that on Facebook posts. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, no, I haven't really. Um, I, and I really can't be bothered with them any longer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> like... Um, I mean, if they don't want their kids to go there, that's totally fine. That's their call. Nobody's forcing anybody. Um, uh, um, but like... Oh, the that, that's actually having, a good way to put it. Yeah, nobody's forcing them. Yeah, that's yeah good. nobody's forcing yeah. anybody whatsoever. Um, so it's, you know, completely, uh, yeah. But I mean, the idea of spending your life dealing with climate change deniers, I don't think we've got time for that any longer. Like I'm just over them. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I can't be bothered. Um, but you know those personalities who, who you know, who have this uh, media presence and they can just <laughs> change people's opinion and just, you know, talk from those pulpits where, you know, they, they have a command and they have a following. And sometimes it looks like really scary. I mean, you know, everybody's allowed to have their opinions and everything, but then sometimes if you're just taking a whole lot of people in a wrong direction, uh, or not just wrong, but just in, in, the, in a certain direction where you're just against people of other opinion, uh, that kind of just, you know, um, has this effect on you of like, you know, they're just in your way all the time. But it's good that you haven't faced that kind of well, resistance. And no, I mean, I've, I've faced a lot of that sort of stuff over a long time, but it's just sort of like conspiracy theorists and anti-vaxxers and things. It's kind of like if, you've, if you're motivated to do something, like you really haven't got time to deal with all those people. And I just find it, like I don't enjoy dealing with them whatsoever, so why do it? Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> like it's not fun. <laughs> Again, that's a strategy. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So um, I, I wanted to know whether COVID had any uh, impact um, on the things that you were doing um, since we just came out of the lockdown uh, last year. And did it hamper any of the progress that you were going on? 
Um, so, um, I mean, Linwood doesn't leave until term two next year anyway. Um, mm -hmm. So, <laughs> um, no, I don't, I like, it probably slowed down the lease negotiations on the red zone land a bit, um, but not, not hugely, not, not hugely. compared to what it's done to, you know, businesses and things like that. So, no, not, not dramatic. I mean, Christchurch has had that one lockdown and that's kind of been it. So mm -hmm. um, I, th I just think we've been, I just feel so, so privileged in that, re in that regard um, at the moment. Indeed, we are really privileged. Now, talking, looking at the future, um, where do you see the climate change school uh, going and you know what do you see like you know five years down the lane how do you envisage um the the input that you're putting in um and how do you envisage the output <laughs> what, what kind of impact it's going to make um well i i think as a as a city, as a country, as individuals, we haven't got a lot of time to muck around on climate change. Um, so I just hope it helps as many people as possible to take action, um, whatever that is, because I can't imagine what people will come up with. Um, but I just hope it makes it easier for people to take action, even during, during school time. Um, uh, and it makes it easier for teachers and others to work together on on such a huge issue because I just think sometimes what we're facing with climate change is can be totally overwhelming, um, mm -hmm. not just to kids but to uh, adults as well. Um, so I just help. I, I mean, what we'd like to do is a sort of Wikipedia approach. So what we've learned along the way, we'd love to share with anybody and everybody who wants to do anything um, because we obviously would like more in this space yeah. um so Probably. we don't intend to be secretive <laughs> about any of it um, oh, nice. um so we'll just whatever other people want to know is great and obviously we're learning as we go so i guess in five years time i'd like um i'd like a lot of people taking a lot of action on mm -hmm. climate change um because five years and yeah <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. we, you know, we seem to do a lot over here in terms of climate change, in terms of like, you know, becoming carbon neutral as much as possible. Um, but we can't ignore the fact that, you know, we're a small country, an island nation, and whatever we do has, you know, only a little impact and effect in terms of a global scale where, you know, other countries and, um, you know, the, 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 the things where, uh, you know, other countries' politics and um, the way they behave has an impact um, on the climate as well. Um, yeah, um, my, my question is like, you know, how much of what we do uh, in, in effect is going to have an impact on a global scale? I um, actually, I don't think New Zealand does that much on climate change. Actually, <laughs> um, and in terms of where we stand um, per capita, in terms of our emissions, we are way, way too high up the scale. Like uh, we are, um, we are far too high per person um, in terms of emissions. So we can't be comfort, you know, feel comfortable about uh, climate change at all. We are. 
uh, we are over contributing to it. And I think um, it, we need to be taking at least our share of it and preferably more because we're in a position where we can. Um, and I mean, you look at the impact of climate change. I mean, every time you turn on the news that, you know, that town in Canada uh, the other day that just burnt to the ground in the heat wave, that's, I mean, that's unheard of. Uh, just New you know, Delhi. <laughs> Australia during the fires uh, or, yes. you know, massive floods, um, you know, uh, we're going to see extreme weather events far, far more often, extreme drought, extreme mm. floods, um, all of them will impact somebody. Um, and, you know, we've all got to be responsible for it. And some nations are going to get affected far, far worse. Um, but but New Zealand will be as well. I mean, we know the impact that's coming. Um but when we're not, uh, I wouldn't call us good in terms of climate change at all. If you look at our per-person emissions, they're way too high. So at some stage, you think we will be able to lead the way? Or who do you, who um, do you look up to in terms of this um, climate change you know, activity? And you know, who's doing uh, it better actually, than I us? To, I look up to people like Greta Thunberg, actually, who's just done... Um, just, uh, I think she's been extraordinary in what she's done. Um, uh, but mostly I just look up to the science. <laughs> it's, all, it's all there. Um, it's, you know, we don't have a choice of, you know, believing it or not. It's there anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's real and it's happening really fast. And we've ignored it basically for 30, 35 years. Um, and we're running out of ignore space. Like we don't mm -hmm. have any more ignore space. We have to take it incredibly seriously. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people are learning about it too. Um, it's not like it's hidden and we're a minority talking about it or you know, anybody who's no. talking about it is a minority anymore. No, um, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. If you look at the research on that, actually worldwide, there's just a, an acceptance that there is climate change. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I can't be bothered with any sort of debate about it. It's like this has been established, I think, you know, 32 years ago or something. Just, yeah. It's just been hard for people uh, to accept it. And now people are, you know, opening their eyes to it and, and actually seeing uh, what is happening around the world through the news and uh, social media. Yeah. It's it's very difficult to turn on the news, um, especially sort of a, a you know a news channel like Al Jazeera or something, and just see what's happening around the world and not see climate change just written all over it. Mm -hmm. um, just the extreme weather events, are just you know those fires in California and Australia, and just you know the loss of so many species. Um, yeah, yeah, hmm. it's very difficult to avoid in any way. Yeah, truly, truly. Uh, Wiki, thank you so much. We have really come towards the end of this little podcast. Thank I you have. very much. Um, thank you so much for coming. You're welcome. Um, and sharing your knowledge and sharing about yourself and also, you know, the good that you're putting in to the community um, for our future, um, you know, for this country and how collaboratively you're approaching um, this this particular topic and this particular um, issue that we have in front of us. Uh, again, thank you so much. Thank you, Razi. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, folks. That's it from, uh, from me today. Um, and we'll get back in another episode next time. Thank you. You've been listening to The Common Good. This show will be broadcasted 
every second Friday at 11am and repeats every fourth Sunday at 1pm. The show has been made possible through the efforts of Lady Khadija Trust and with funding from Office of Ethnic Communities.